And I said something to him about, did you ever think this would happen? And, and you could tell he not only had he not think, he had been praying against something like this. <laughs> and he just kept going, I just don't, I don't, whatever, however, God's will, you know, that kind of thing. He doesn't want to say, I think this is the worst idea I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> um, some things. Also, I, I did want to mention, because we've been talking about this, we do have more and more people that are going to first service, and it's obviously we're seeing there's a few more empty chairs in here. That's nice. Um, if, you're, if you're interested, going to first service uh, will delay us having to do the uh, three services thing. We are building a plan, and we think we're getting a pretty decent plan put together for this. But um, we'll let you know. There's no rush. I know I've had some people were wondering, okay, so are you saying we're going to three services like a month from now? No, we're thinking closer toward the end of the year. Uh, but we'll let you know. We'll, we'll make a big deal about it. We'll, we'll process this as a body together. It won't just happen because uh, we'll have to switch service times. We're thinking about a 6 o'clock in the morning service <laughs> and a um, 8 o'clock in the morning and then a 10. So then we're done, right? We're in here, out of here, that kind of thing. We'll, we'll let you know as we get a little closer to this. So this is something that uh, I, I want to make sure that you're aware of. We're going to give you a little bit more details as we get a little closer uh, to, to the session. So the, the, um, the legislative session is between G January and May, and it will start back up in January. We, there's different groups that have put groups together to go to the Capitol and pray. Uh, the, some of these groups have been started by people in our church, and that there is a consistent, uh, uh, there's people every single day in the Capitol praying while we're in session. And I can tell you that is so necessary, more than, than I'll ever be able to explain in a physical sense how necessary this is. We now have some groups that are putting teams together to go different counties, all of the counties in the state of Colorado that will be specific days that they will be there. Some counties are doing um, uh, two or three different days. There's bigger counties than others. And, and uh, one of the things we're also doing is adding in um, churches to this where there's, there's a specific day that a church brings a team, comes up to the Capitol and prays. There are worship teams that come up there and do worship. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that that we're very intentional about. And some, some great Christian leaders have uh, stepped up to make some of these things happen. We're going to have um, at least one day, but probably two or three days, that are that is specifically church at Briargate, where we have a day where, where we can go up and pray at the Capitol. I mean, I'm going to be there. I pray there every day. But uh, where, where you can join us up at the Capitol. Many of you have mentioned the fact that you want to go up there sometime and do something. This would be a good time to do that. And uh, you can pray at different places throughout the Capitol while we're in session. And then you can also come into the uh, house and you can sit upstairs in the gallery and uh, watch what's going on. And we have people that pray uh, regularly up there in the gallery. Um, some, of, uh, some of the people that, that work for us, there's four of us representatives that have a team of people. We've hired a, a group of aides to work together. Some of them are up there many, many times. Uh, praying up in, in the gallery. And I can tell you, sitting there and looking up and seeing those people up there praying is, is huge. It is, so, it is so empowering to me personally. I know other people have said the same thing. So we're going to give you some dates. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you some dates that will be between January and May of next year of times. And you can put on the calendar and then plan. We can even take like a group 
uh, that'll go up there and, and do something, uh, carpool or however. But um, Cynthia, do you mind standing real quick? If, if uh, Well, I, I want you to stand even if you do mind it. Um, uh, she's one of the ones that is putting a lot of this stuff together, and she's, uh, she's, she's actually one of our aides that um, works for me and three other representatives. That she is, um, she's our spiritual um, prayer coordinator for uh, four of us that work together and uh, does a great job at that. She's one of the ones that's up there regularly, uh, constantly up there, sitting in the gallery, walking through, um, praying at different places. And so you can also talk to her if you want to, if you just want to know more about this and get uh, involved a little bit more. But we will give you some specific time frames. I did mention last week, I've been talking about this for months. <clears throat> that, that uh, the TSA is going to start mandating masks around mid-September. I'm sure some of you saw this this week, that there are now cities across the United States that are starting to mask again. Um, New York is one of those. Uh, they're, they're doing it not like the whole city, but in different segments like hospitals and things. Uh, Hollywood, who thought that would ever happen? Hollywood is masking also. Uh, to do anything in cooperation with movies and things, you're going to have to be masked now. And, um, which is interesting because I've never seen a masked person in a movie. You know? You know what I'm saying? So uh, different hospitals around the country are starting to do this. Some government agencies are starting to do this. And this started this week. They started announcing it. You know, it's, uh, I didn't realize that was going to happen like that quick. But guys, we're there again. But at the same time, and this is important, we're seeing all over the country where uh, news stations, um, news print places, and also online news stations, news, news places are writing articles, doing reports, doing all kinds of things. You're seeing this all over if you're paying attention. People are saying, just say no. Just, just say no. You do not have to wear a mask. In fact... Um, I'm going to get you some stuff that we were talking after first service. Some, some people were explaining some things. And uh, this is coming out of California where there's some lawsuits there going to the Supreme Court of California. But I'm going, to, I'm going to make up some cards that have a list of things that are specifically the constitutional guidelines for the state of Colorado. And you can take those with you when you go in grocery stores and things like that. And they say, well, you need to mask. And you can say, well, this is actually what the law says. Wouldn't you like one of those in your wallet or something like that? Yeah. And just say no. Just say no. Just don't mask. You don't have to do this. This is stupid. This is just stupid. So, there. I said it. Um, we did have, is, is Richard in here somewhere? Richard, are you in? I saw him running around outside somewhere. Um, so, Richard Angie is, was pregnant. She's no longer pregnant. She had a baby this week. And, um, and I don't know all this stuff. Everybody says, oh, well, women, not everybody. Women say, oh, how long was it? Baby length. Um, how much did it weigh? Baby weight. I, I don't understand those questions. I don't, I don't even see the importance of those questions. But I don't even know what my kids weighed or, or whatever. I know they were about yay long. So um, it was a boy. Everything's good. Uh, some of you know that um, Angie uh, has hearing issues, some uh, struggles with hard of hearing, deafness, and they tested the baby, and the baby's hearing is just fine. So I know that was a concern of theirs and the concern of some of yours. So 
um, it's just it's just uh, just exciting to be a part of this and to watch this. I, I always love to see young couples like this have. We we've got a few more in here that are that are about ready to go too. So, um, you know, if they were a turkey in the oven, the thing would have already popped up. Is that kind of thing, right? They're getting there. So. But I love this. I think it's so exciting. I think this is one of the greatest gifts. And parents, you know, it's the greatest gift you'll ever have, to have a child. And, uh, and all the things that come along with just having a child. I mean, some of it's horrible. You're going to hate some of it. But, it's, but in the long run, it's good, right? Especially when they get old enough, they start having grandkids, and you're like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And I do have my study on Ezekiel that we started last Wednesday. We're going to continue that. Now, over these next few weeks, <clears throat> a little bit longer than that, over the next couple of months, I'm going to be interspersing some very challenging messages, some very difficult messages. This is kind of the start of that, although this one isn't as difficult, but there's going to be some challenging stuff. And, and really been praying about this and seeking God about this. I know that God wants to do more in our lives, but a lot of the times he's not doing things like that. It's not because of him, it's because of us. And it's because of our issues and our shortcomings. And one of the biggest things, I was thinking about this when we're singing the song, he is for you. Um, how many places in scripture does it say that God is for you? And there's still people, and there are some of you right in this room, that you struggle believing that God is really for you. That's, it's straight out of scripture, but we struggle with it. And I'm going to push some of those things to say, this is what God says. Some good, some, I mean, positive, some negative. Uh, but this is what God says. But you have to make the decision if you're going to do something about it. That's where, the, that's where it all comes down to. You've got to make the decision. I can preach this stuff. I can say it. You can have life groups that are saying this. You can read it in the Bible. You can get somebody's book and it says stuff like this. But somewhere you just have to make a decision. This is what God's word says. And even if it is difficult, I am going to go there. Even if it is challenging and I've been, I've been hiding this stuff in my own mind and my own spirit, I need to go there. I found over the years when, when, like on a scale from 1 to 10, if there's really, really difficult stuff that we have to deal with, and that's the 10, that's very egregious. And I'm talking about, this morning I'm talking about people that persecute you or, or cause you harm. And I'm saying in the 10 range where they have intentionally done de devastating, difficult harm stuff like like as a child being um, sexually abused and physically abused and things like that, and you've got this very difficult arena, I found human nature kind of slides back to around four, five, six, and we deal with the stuff that fall into that category of, of pain and struggle and difficulty and things like that. Human nature, uh, our, our own brains, and by the way, God designed us this way as a defense mechanism, but he also uh, has given us the Holy Spirit to help us. And so... He wants us to go into these difficult things and to let the Holy Spirit work through those things. But that's not how our brains work. It's not how our psyche works. It's we, we are really good at, at compartmentalizing and locking some of this stuff up and putting it away and never really going there. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push us some over this next couple of months to really think about some of the things that we have to, we've got to go there. We've got to let God do some bigger stuff with us. And the biggest reason is just for you. It, I mean, I, th I think long-term it benefits the church too, right? The, our local church, and then it benefits the body of Christ. But at the, at the, really in the big sense, it's, it's for you. 
God wants to do things with you and through you and to you and all this kind of stuff. But we, we hinder that oftentimes. I, I believe we hinder God doing supernatural things in our life because we're not really willing to go into the difficult stuff of our existence. And when we resist God and we get a pattern of resisting God, which, which we all at some level are, are guilty of, but when you get a pattern of resisting God, you don't realize it subconsciously and, and, and uh, just kind of part of your existence, you're resisting a lot more of God than you think you are in the process. Okay, so I want to talk to us this morning about um, our enemies, people that have harmed us, people that, that um, intentionally harm us. And that's kind of where I want to go with this, is people that specifically intentionally harm us for the purpose of harming us. Uh, the, the, I, I'm not talking about like accidentally they do. This happens a lot. And I think we get Scripture says as Christians we're not supposed to be offended, but we really get offended very easily, specifically in our culture today. Man, we just get offended all the time. Somebody can say something, we're mad. You know, this, I always pick on this because it's so easy. You know, the, the waitress doesn't bring you your, your Coke fast enough, and so now you're attacking this person. I mean, we do this stuff. And, we, and as Christians, as Christians, we do this kind of stuff. We attack. We, we get offended. We go all this kind of stuff that happens. And, and part of the reason I think we do this is because we're not really letting the Holy Spirit deal with bigger stuff in our life. Now, I'm not talking about smaller things where it's not intentional. And, he, and here's part of the reason I'm not addressing that is because um, we all hurt people and harm people unintentionally. We do that all the time. All of us do that. Uh, you say, well, I don't think I have. That's just because you're not paying attention. You've done it. It's been unintentional. That was the point. And so you, you, you're, you're doing this. I've done this. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, very sensitive to this because as a pastor, um, it's part of my existence. But I do know with saying that, I do know that I, that I have hurt people's feelings many times over the years, um, not intentionally, sometimes in the middle of a message. If I'm doing that, that's, that's way more on you than it is on me, okay? Because I'm not intentionally trying to hurt people. But I know that I have. And plus, I have a tendency every now and then, in, the, in very, very rare moments, I have a tendency to be slightly sarcastic. And when that happens, sometimes that hurts people's feelings, okay? It's not my intention. And as Christians, you're not supposed to be offended, so it's on you. But, guys, we do that, right? You hurt people's feelings. I hurt people's feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. Some, oftentimes, we blow those way out of proportion, but those can actually be handled fairly simply sometimes. Just go to them and say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, right? You say, well, I didn't do it on purpose. Okay, but that, a sorry, an apology still works pretty good right there. All right. Now, I'm talking about really egregious stuff where people have really hurt you really harmed you in the process. I want to tell you uh, some stories. It's really one big story. I'm just limiting this to a very small space of my life um, because I have hundreds of these stories. Uh, and and here's, here's one of the things. As, as a pastor, this has always been interesting to me because I hear this regularly all the time. I hear people say, well, so-and-so, I was at this church and so-and-so hurt me and so I stopped going to church like five years. I, I, I don't really, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice about this, but I don't really have a lot of patience for that. That's, that's silly. I could tell you stories all day long of people in churches 
that hurt me intentionally. They were mean and hurt me. But here's what I found. That's not God. God God has never intentionally hurt me. Ever. He's put me through difficult stuff, and I have felt hurt, but he's never hurt me. And the body of Christ, we're all broken. This is another thing that I hear people say. Well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I don't understand that. You go to Walmart. (laughs) Are you telling me nobody in Walmart's not a hypocrite? You, 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 You go eat at a restaurant, nobody in that place is a hypocrite? The, the expectation that we have of others, it's, I've always said this, we, this, is how, this is how Christians operate. We hold other people accountable for what they do, and we hold ourselves accountable for our intentions. What we think about ourselves and what we intended. Well, I didn't mean that, yeah, but you still did or you still said, and you're holding other people accountable for the other. And so to really process, what does it mean when somebody hurts me? What does it mean when somebody in the church hurts me? Those things happen. So I'm going to give you some examples of that. Okay, so I, I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago a church that I w- had been on staff at, the very first church I ever went to, 1990. I went there for a few months. Lynn and I didn't get married. She's there with me. We were at that church for 11 months. It was a very bad situation. Um, the, I told you about how I really knew that God had called me there and how I got there and the pastor and all that. But here's what happened. The pastor was related to, to my family. He's my mom's cousin. And um, the uh, pastor did not want a youth pastor. The church had grown quite a bit. There was probably six or 700 people in the church at that time. The, they needed children's ministries. They were building this new sanctuary, um, adding a bunch of stuff on. They needed youth pastor. They needed a bunch of other things in that church. But the pastor did not want, he was a very controlling individual, and also there was money issues. He did not want to pay a staff person. I mean, church, oh, this is kind of weird, too. I didn't mention this first service. This was in Odessa, Texas. Odessa Midland is like the oil capital of the nation. That We had two or three different millionaires in the church that tied. These were good people that tied. They, um, but he didn't want to pay somebody, so that's why he called me. So I go there, he fired the janitor, hired me as the janitor, didn't explain this to the board, didn't tell him, we didn't know this at first. And uh, so basically I'm getting paid what the janitor was getting paid, but I'm a youth pastor at the same time, okay? So uh, one, of the th- one of the things is, I'm going to give you a couple little things that, that happened. This, the whole 11 months was horrible. Um, they treated us so badly. The people at the church treated us fine. That's, it was the pastor and his wife that treated us horrible. And uh, that's why I do have compassion on, on staff pastors. And I've worked with a lot of staff pastors over the years of what it means to be in a church and how do you do this and, and how do you submit to your leadership. I was very, very submitted to my pastor, although he was treating me horrible. And um, I, ne- I never talked about him. I never did any of that stuff. Uh, and, and uh, by the way, I don't tell these stories very often. This is, this, what I'm telling you today, I, I, gave, I made mention of this uh, about a year ago on a Wednesday night part of this, but I don't tell these stories regularly because I don't think they really help in the big picture, but I, but I think it will this morning. 
So uh, one of the things that was happening is I was, this is when I first got there. I'm, I'm doing all this janitor stuff. I'm cleaning, doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I've got to spend more time doing youth. I, I could only work on youth ministry stuff in the evenings, like it from 5 o'clock on. I worked from 7 to 5 in the church, and I could only do youth stuff in the evenings. And so I, I came up with this good plan. I'm going to get, I got to the church at 7 every morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay a little later, the, like Monday, Tuesday. I'm going to do a lot more work on those days. And, uh, and this was a very large facility. There was a lot. Plus, I was also building, um, building the building. One day, one day I walked in. I, I didn't say this first service either. But one day I walked in, and, and the pastor handed me a, a big crowbar and a hammer. The church had just bought the property across the road, and there were two houses on that property. And he, and he gave me a crowbar and a hammer, and he said, go tear down those houses. I tore down two houses by myself. Well, I had never built. I didn't know you should start at the top and work your way down. <laughs> Nobody said that to me, and I had some crazy accident stuff. But, but either way, so I'm, I'm over there. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if I work a little harder, I can probably get done by Wednesday at noon, and then I could go into my office. My pastor will sure be proud of me for doing this, and I can spend Wednesday afternoons getting ready for Wednesday night youth service. Okay. So I did that. I worked real hard, and I come over to the, the office complex. Is, it was not in the church building. It was a different building. And, and uh, so I do all this, and I get over to the church around noon on Wednesday, and, and I'm excited. And I pull out my books, and I start doing all my youth ministry stuff, and, and I'm excited. My pastor's going to be so proud. And uh, he comes walking back to my office immediately, and he says, what are you doing over here? And I said, well, I got all my work done, and I did this, and so I can work on youth. He said, you, you're, you need to be over in the building doing all of that stuff. Um, you can work on youth after 5 o'clock every day. Now, the church called me a youth pastor. Everybody said I was a youth pastor. I naively thought I was a youth pastor. And this was the moment when I realized, you're just the janitor. You're not the youth pastor. He doesn't want a youth pastor. So I went back over to the church building, and I, I sat down. And, and I, I'm also very anal about uh, certain things, well, a lot of things, but specifically vacuuming. I was the vacuumer, and I, I'm, I'm specific about that. In fact, I vacuum our living room at home now because I addressed the fact that Linda did not vacuum straight lines when she vacuumed. She's just like having a seizure, just going all over the place. <laughs> and you can, you can just vacuum straight lines like a biblical mandate would give us, and you vacuum straight lines. And then you back your way out of the room. How many of you are on the same page with me like that? Right. You're the Christians in the room. So, <laughs> so now I vacuum at home. Um, that's a new rule that we established at our home. So, so I mean, you know about that. I had vacuumed the whole building and it was all like that. I mean, I'd back myself out of the building. That's the way I'm wired. So I go over there, and I sit down in a, in a big chair in the foyer, and I'm just sitting there. And, and I'm struggling, and I'm praying, and I'm coming to the realization I was not hired to be a youth pastor. That the teenagers of this church are not important to the pastor. They're important to the board, but they're not important to the pastor. And, um, and really, in the community, we didn't have it. We only had one in the church at that time. But so... So I'm sitting there, I, I sit there for a couple hours, I'm praying, I'm processing this, 
And I go back over, and this was just me saying, okay, I'm going to test this. I go back over to the office complex, and I tell the pastor, I said, hey, this is good. Could you come over here and check this for me? Because I want to see, you know, kind of what you're seeing and make sure I'm on the same page so I'm doing the job that you want to be. I'd only been in the church maybe a month, month and a half. And so he comes over there, and he opens the door and looks in the building and says, now that's what I'm talking about. I had not done anything different. And he said, that's what I want you to be doing, but you'll need to be doing that from 7 to 5 every day. You can work on youth afterwards. So I realized, okay, I'm not really a youth pastor. All right. So I continue this. I mean, I'm, I'm submitted to my pastor. I'm going to do, he hired me. I agreed to come. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And so, and the youth group did take off, and we, we grew quite a bit in the youth group. And, and um, another thing that had happened uh, and this was, this was really bad. When, when, Linda, when Linda and I got married and she came there, she had grown up in a pastor's home. Her dad and mother are amazing pastor people. And then right after we got married, they went to be missionaries. They're just great people. They're just good, good people. And she kept saying, this is not what ministry is. Because I'm ready to, I'm done. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I'm done with this. And, um, and so... Uh, I, I, we get toward the end of this and we're at a, we're at a youth... We go to youth camp that next summer, and, I, and I'm telling a couple friends of mine that, I, that were youth pastors that I developed a relationship with. I said, guys, I, I'm, I'm going to be resigning. It was kind of like my goodbye to them. I wasn't going to be seeing them. And I said, I'm going to be resigning. And, and um, one of them specifically, but both of the youth pastors sitting there began to explain to me, this is not ministry. What you're dealing with is not ministry. This is just a guy being mean to you. Um, you don't you don't give up on ministry. I was just going to get a job. I wasn't going to be in ministry anymore. And Linda was saying the same to me. One of these guys said, "Hey, there's a pastor that's looking for a youth pastor." And interestingly, uh, this a couple weeks ago, we went to General Council in Ohio, and I had lunch with these same two guys. They're very old men now, <clears throat> about my age. And so, but um, it's interesting. It's just interesting what God does, right? And uh, so I said, okay, I'll send a resume. And this pastor immediately called us and called us up. And we, we drove a couple hours to that church and sat and talked with him. He hired us on the spot. And one of the things he told me a couple years later, he said, when I knew you were struggling, he said, because I never said anything negative about the pastor because he was picking at me trying to pull some of this out. I could tell that. But I didn't say anything negative about the pastor. And he said, when... He said, when you didn't say anything negative, but you were still resigning and leaving, he said, I've known that pastor for years. And he said, it made me respect you even more because I knew you had a lot of stuff to say. But, and, and that's a whole other subject, but guys, understanding authority and understanding submission to authority and respecting authority, that's a big deal. And we don't really teach that much nowadays. But I was not going to attack my pastor. It wasn't going to happen, no matter what he did. Uh, one, one of the things I found out, this was, this was two or three years later. Somebody just visited the church that Lynn and I were youth pastors at, and they were like, you guys, you just disappeared. We never knew where you went. And they told us at the time, they had been board members at the time, the board gave us two different raises and also gave us a gas card to use, and the pastor never gave us any of that stuff. We didn't know that uh, at the time. I did not know I had been given a raise, and I never saw it. I did not know I had a gas card. I never saw it. Okay. 
Um, so it comes time, I go to this other pastor and he hires us. So I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 20 years old. I, did, I was about to turn 21. This was the summer of 1991. And he says to me, you need to give, you need to give a resignation that's at least 30 days. Tell him I'm going to resign, give you 30 days. Because it's, it's, it's difficult for a church to have a transition uh, in ministry. It's not, it's not like, um, you know, hiring somebody at McDonald's where it's just, you know, got 20 applications and it doesn't work that way. And it takes a while. And so he said, you need to give him at least 30 days and you need to do these things and all this kind of stuff. So I, uh, I go back to the church Monday morning. I'm out, I get there at seven, like I always do. And, and he's standing there watering the grass. He was he never, he didn't, I didn't know he had a seven o'clock in the morning on his phone uh, or his <laughs> clock phones didn't exist at that time like that. Um, and so he, I say to him, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm very respectful. I'm not attacking or anything. And I said, Lynn and I are resigning. Um, I, I'm giving you 30 days. Make a list. Whatever I need to do, I'll take care of all of that. I'll do whatever transition you need to do, take care of whatever. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to be gone by the end of the week, and I do not want you to talk to anybody about this. I said, okay, do you want me to... Um, uh, how, how do you want me to resign to like to the board, to the church? He said, I'll take care of the board. I said, do you want me to resign to the church? And he sat there for me and he says, okay, I, I want you, I'll let you resign to the church. He said, we'll do that Wednesday night. You won't have youth. I, I don't think we were actually having youth on Wednesday night by that time. I can't remember. But, but he said, well, you'll be in the Wednesday service and I'll have you resign Wednesday night. Okay. And so um, we come to the Wednesday night service. And uh, we, we have all the normal stuff of service, worship and offering and announcement, all the stuff. And he told me, he said, just sit there. Okay, so we had, we had these big thrones on the stage. That's how churches did that stuff in the weirdo days. Uh, we had these huge, big thrones. I don't know. They weren't just chairs. They were thrones. Anybody seen, you know what I'm talking about? They were thrones. I hated those things. I would sit up there in my throne and look down on all the little people out there. I hated those things. So I'm sitting in the throne in the sanctuary. I don't want you to. So I'm sitting in the sanctuary on the throne on the stage. And, um, and he told me, he said, I'll call you up when it comes time to resign. Okay. So sitting there and saying, anyway, he preaches, we pray for people, and I, I go down and I'm praying with people and doing all this, and, and then I go back up, and I sit on the throne, and, and um, he, his wife was out in the foyer, and everybody was leaving, everybody was leaving, and there's, there's uh, only two people left in the sanctuary finally. It's the sound guy and Linda, who's sitting on the front row there, and his wife sticks her head in the, in the uh, door and uh, says, okay, everybody's gone. So this was premeditated. It's not like he forgot. So then he says, okay, Scott. And he hands me a microphone. He says, um, you said you wanted to resign to the church. We're in the church, so come up and resign. There's nobody in the room. I'm like, well, it'll be quick. So I come up and hold the microphone, and I resign. The only person sitting there is my wife now crying. And I resigned to an empty building. Um, when, when people say to me, oh, church, have treat me wrong, people, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't play well with me. 
You, you cannot, church people cannot be treated as badly as I have been treated by church people and by pastors. It's not possible. You can't. I, I've, I've had the FBI called on me um, because I'm embezzling money, although I'm broke. I didn't you know, know how that happened. But um, I've had social services, child protective services called on me a handful of times because I'm treating my children wrong. Uh, I've had the police called on me. Um, I've had people accuse me of every single thing you can imagine. I've had people try to destroy Lynn and I's marriage uh, many times over the years. I've had people horribly pick on my kids. I can deal with a lot, but that one starts getting to you, right? But here's the thing. Well, like I said earlier, I know who God is. None of those things are God. God's never treated me wrong. And, and I get up here and I preach every single week with no animosity, no, I don't dislike church people. In fact, you guys are my saving grace, specifically this last uh, spring go, going in session every week and then coming here. Coming here and stepping up and preaching and, he, and watching you guys worship and being connected or whatever, that's my saving grace. That's my energizing. That's my, you guys don't realize how important this is for you to be sitting here and for me to be doing what I'm doing. This is huge. Does that mean that, that somebody in the future is, I mean, nobody's ever going to treat me bad again in church? No, it's going to happen. As I get older, it does change a little bit, partly because I get better at what I'm doing, and I'm not as much uh, as, a, as a sarcastic. Well, I still am, but I know how to do it differently now. So um, some of that comes along with age. People respect you more just because uh, you're older. When you're a younger minister, they respect you less. Those are just, Lynn and I, we threw a little party when we turned 30 because now we're adults. We had already been in ministry 10 years. And people now begin to see us as adults. Right? I don't have any anger. I don't have any unforgiveness or anything like that. Guys, those are choices we make as humans. You don't have to have unforgiveness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, at what time on the planet or wherever. That's a hard statement. That's countercultural. No, no culture has it built into their system, love your enemies. Nobody has that built in. Pray for those who persecute you. And that means pray legitimately, pray God's will, God's blessing, God's plan, not God kill them, not God ruin their life. It's legitimate prayer. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, true children. Guys, these are some difficult statements. There's a lot of statements like this in Scripture that really make us have to step up. We either choose to obey or we choose to keep going our direction. And the only good option is just do what God says. It's difficult, but do what he says. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Good things happen to, to bad people, and bad things happen to good people, and vice versa. There's nothing you can do about that. We always assume that all the bad stuff happens to us, and all the good stuff happens to everybody else. Right? That's just, we do that. It's normal. 
Why does everything good happen to them? You, you, have you ever had that conversation with your kids? We, we were talking about this for some reason the other day. Um, uh, we were sitting at dinner and talking with the kids and talking about how our kids really did without. All their friends had a lot of stuff, and our kids just didn't. We just didn't have money. I mean, we would, we would do everything we could to buy a gaming station for our kids at Christmas every year or, or games or something like that. Because that was a big deal, and all their friends had this stuff, and all their friends are playing these games, and that's all they're talking about at school. And we, Lynn and I would not get stuff for each other or anything else, so we could just make sure the kids got a, a PlayStation or something. And our kids had no idea at the time what we were sacrificing for that. We, we were struggling putting groceries on the table, and we're buying them at that time. I, I remember one of the very first, like Nintendo, it was like 90 bucks. And I was thinking, who pays this kind of money for this stuff? 90 bucks. Think about a brand new gaming station for $90 nowadays. So, <clears throat> If you love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even tax collect, corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. You say, well, God doesn't want us to be perfect. I love it when people say that. Well, we're not supposed to be perfect. Well, I see Scripture says you are. Obviously, he, he's meaning the direction. It's the attitude. The whole thing is about the attitude, your direction of your mind, your spirit, and your life. Your intention is to strive toward perfection. Okay? Are you ever going to be perfect? No, but I do like to show people that Scripture when they say that. So here's the first thing. You have to make intentional decisions. Am I going to pray for those who persecute me? You've got to make that decision. You have to. You have to it doesn't just happen. And, it, and just because other people are doing it doesn't mean you're going to do it. You have to be intentional. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. You who are slaves. Peter's going all the way to the core. The, the, the different people groups around the world have slaves. In fact, there are more slaves on the earth right now than 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Did you know that? You can study that out um, because that's not talking points nowadays, right? With all this uh, over-the-top uh, racism, systemic racism and stuff that's being baited across our country right now. Uh, first, America is the least racist country on the planet. And systemically, we have worked very hard to make sure this doesn't exist. But it still gets taught, still gets pushed. But with that, the idea of slaves, Peter's going all the way to the point of slaves. So when you're saying I'm treated horribly at work, you need to put this in context. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. No wiggle room here. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you, are, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit if being, for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. That kind of makes sense. That, you got to remember that. Okay. So, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. That's not American Christianity. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. And so the rest of this scripture is him being the example. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. When, I, when I'm doing counseling, and, and specifically if the guy comes in and he's complaining, she treats me wrong, she complains about me, she nags, whatever the case is. 
um, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave his life for the church. So I'll start easy questions. Has she ever hit you? No. Has she ever taken a whip and whipped you? No, that's weird. Has she ever driven nails through your feet and hands? Now they know where I'm going. Has she ever taken a crown of thorns and shoved it down on your head, ripped your beard out, spit on you? Until she does all that, you got nothing. Go back and love her. Be the husband you're supposed to be. They're, they're very rarely do they go, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Very rarely does that happen. But at least they get the point. God's pretty clear about some of this stuff. He never sinned, never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, by splitting open his skin, it, he provided the ability for other people's skin to be mended. That's, a, that's amazing. Think about that. That is amazing. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So the last two things. There will be times when you're treated poorly. You just need to know that and you need to embrace it. There are times when, you will, when people will be cruel to you for no reason except they're the problem. That's just it. But you can handle it the way the Lord has asked you to handle it, or you can handle it the way human nature handles it. But remember, human nature is broken and corrupt, leads to death, and will end up in hell. But you can handle it the way Christ told you to handle it. And, and for some of you, that means right now this morning, you've got to make an intentional decision. Lord, help me to change because I haven't been handling this properly. I haven't been doing this. The third thing is that Jesus is the example. Now, what I want us to do <clears throat> is to take communion together with this. And, um, and part of the deal... Oh, thank you. Part of the deal with uh, taking this communion... I. So, so I've said this before. You guys know, you guys know what, if you've been here a while, you know what I, I've said about this. Anytime I take communion, since I was a little kid and I was taking communion, anytime I am part of communion, I always do the same thing. I pray that the Lord will forgive me. I always repent. Does anybody need a communion packet you got in here and, and um, pass by the table? Anybody just raise your hand real quick. They'll bring it to you. You don't have to go anywhere. I mean, we will look at you disdainfully. Anybody else? Okay. So I think this is a good moment for us to, to do this. Take communion, remind us what Jesus did for us, and this is how we're supposed to act out there, right? He died for me. That, that demands some things from me. And one is, is if he can forgive me, I've got to forgive others. If he was treated horribly, I've got to understand. He went to the cross for me for that. I've got I've to follow suit. I've got to follow the example. All right, let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Now, Jesus, you've given us everything, and we've treated you horribly. 
Lord, every one of us in this building have, have not matched up to the list that we just read. And Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us to be graceful people. Help us to be forgiving people. Help us to be people of prayer and truly care about people's souls. Even the ones that have, that have done us so wrong. Lord, help us just to love people. God, help us just to love people. That you're just the amazing king. You're the amazing king that has, has given so much to us. On the night when he was betrayed, it's so interesting to me that the sentence starts with this. On the night when he was betrayed, the disciple, one of the disciples is going to turn against him. He's going to be hung on the cross because of the sins of the disciples sitting in the room, the upper room. The, they're taking Passover together, and those guys are going to, Abandon him, all kinds of things. And it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we do not take this for granted. We don't take this casually. You truly are, you truly are the amazing God above all gods, king above kings. Lord Jesus, you let them brutalize your body so we could be healed. The perfect one, having his body torn to shreds so the unperfect ones can have their bodies mended. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we believe that you're coming back. We want to announce that. We want to stand on it. And Jesus, I take this very serious. You have forgiven me. Lord, wash me clean right now. Let your blood pour over my, my head, all over my existence, and forgive me. Lord, and I, know, I do know, I know deep within my spirit, by faith, that I am truly forgiven. We thank you for this. So, Lord, we take this cup to remember that you hung on the cross for us, and that your blood was poured out. Let's take the drink together. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the amazingness of your grace. For the fullness of your word into our life. God, we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to connect with Austin. He's got his table out there. Asking questions, take a prayer card, whatever you need to do. And um, get to know him a little bit better. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So... Shake somebody's hand, tell them that you're glad they're here, even if you have to make it up, and we will see you Wednesday night or next Sunday. Have a great rest of your afternoon.